0: It's time for Green Visions, a KUMD production to encourage green thinking and green actions. Green Visions is made possible by the Minnesota Power Energy Conservation Program, making progress toward a lower-carbon energy future. Aaron Clems is the Chief Strategy Officer for the Minnesota Center of Environmental Advocacy. We talked to J.T. Haynes a little while back about the Supreme Court's decision on the PolyMet permit to mine, and we're interested to find out where we're going in the uh, laborious uh, permitting process as it works its way through the system. Aaron, good morning, and thanks so much for being our guest.
1: Thanks so much, Lisa. I'm glad to be on.
0: So what is the status of the PolyMet proposal right now?
1: Well, in our view, PolyMet is a failed proposal. At this point, the four major permits that they need to operate and construct the mine, which would be the permit to mine, the air pollution permit, the water pollution permit, and a wetlands destruction permit have all been either suspended, reversed, or returned to the agencies because they're inadequate. The courts and the agencies have found these permits to be insufficient and not meet the law. At this point, I think we have to start asking serious questions about whether this proposal has any possibility of ever coming to fruition, and certainly whether or not it could meet our laws and protect our water. And so, at right to this point, I'd say that this proposal is pretty much a failure, and we have to think about what our what we should do instead, frankly, to bring economic development, sustainable economic development, to northeastern Minnesota. All
0: right. Here is this morning's naive question of the day: Will Will the court system ever get to a point where they say, all right, enough, you're wasting our time? Or is this, does this just kind of go, can can this just keep going on indefinitely? That's
1: a great question, Lisa. And it actually kind of gets to the heart of the kind of work that we do at MCEA. And also, I think some of the frustration that everybody has with these permitting debacles, and that is that the courts aren't there to tell somebody whether or not proposal can move forward. They're there to decide whether permits that have been issued by agencies like the Department of Natural Resources or the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency meet the law. And so the frustration is that there's really no point in the courts where they say, no, never. But there are a lot of points where they say, no, not this. And ultimately, it's up to us and it's up to Governor Walls, and it's up to the legislature and others to make a decision about whether or not we move on from this proposal. As long as they can continue to submit applications for permits. The agencies will continue to process them, right? If the court rejects this set of permits, they could go and apply for different ones and change their proposal slightly and move forward and try to try to move forward that way. And so I think I know that's frustrating for a lot of people, but I think it also illustrates kind of what the, what the real, um, real thing is here is that the governor and the legislature need to make a decision about what to do. And now it's back in Governor Walz's court for the first time as governor. His 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 agencies did not issue these permits. They were issued under Governor Dayton. And now it's going to be up to him to decide how to how to deal with the facts that the courts have rejected the permits and return them to the agency.
0: On the surface of it, from, uh, admittedly, the standpoint of a layperson, there are a lot of similarities between the PolyMet proposal and what's going on with uh, Line 3, for example. Uh, We've talked with a number of water protectors recently. They have been very disappointed in the Walls administration. They also feel that permits that are in violation of existing laws... Uh, and or treaties have been issued, and they are frustrated and they want this, uh, the progress on line three to stop until these issues can be dealt with. Do you see that this is, do you also see that that this is a similar situation? And do you look at what's happening with line three to kind of gauge how this may play out uh, once it hits the governor's desk?
1: Well, that's a great, another good question. Um, so we work with a group of young people named the Youth Climate Interveners, who are one of the litigants in the Line 3 case that was just at the Court of Appeals. And disappointingly, the Court of Appeals did not overturn the permits and the environmental review for Line 3 at that time on a split-to-one decision. And they've appealed that to the Supreme Court. I mean, MCEA's role in this, um, in both Line 3 and with PolyMet, is to is to use the use the legal process and also the process of issuing the permits and push as hard as we can. We really respect the work that water protectors are doing is putting their bodies on the line uh, to protect our water in northern Minnesota. Um, and we feel their frustration too. As far as what this means for Governor Walls and what he'll do, um, I don't want to speculate on that. To be perfectly honest, I think I think that it is disappointing to see that the agencies are kind of following the same playbook on Line Three as they are were on Polymet, which is to put these Permits push these permits through, even when there were significant scientific disputes and lots of public opposition, you know, and that's the concern that we have is that, you know, while we've had some success in the courts on the PolyMet permits with the line three case, you know, we're talking about tearing up wetlands and crossing rivers right now. And ultimately, you know, the fear is that by the time the Supreme Court even hears the case, that a lot of the damage will already be done. And so we really feel and, and and understand the frustration of the water protectors and other people doing work in northern Minnesota to try to stop Line 3. Um, but I don't know exactly how that relates to what Governor Walz will do.
0: You know, if you and I, you or I, I guess, considering uh, um, wanted to put up a fence on our property line and there was an issue about whether or not it was too close to the property line, or it was actually on the neighbor's property. And the neighbor said, I'm going to bring suit. We just went ahead and built it anyway. Um, All flavors of heck would descend upon our heads. And yet in many instances, some of these big projects move ahead and they're allowed to move ahead even though this that or the next thing sometimes something as fundamental as permits uh, are in dispute or haven't yet been issued and it's like we're just going to go ahead and do it and the weight of this momentum is just supposed to you know and then by the time it goes to court it goes like well you know I'm 75 percent done with the fence already I mean that doesn't seem right to me? Or am I being naive again?
1: No, you're not being naive at all. I, I agree 100%. I think that, you know, another example that's recent and really on point to your analogy is the Dakota Access Pipeline. So in that case, a federal court has found that they violated the National Environmental Policy Act and didn't do environmental review properly for that proposal. An environmental review is supposed to be completed before permits are issued and construction is done. Well, guess what? The Dakota Access Pipeline has been constructed. Right. And so at this point, the company is telling federal courts, well, you can't shut down our pipeline. It's already operating, you know, even though they're in violation with the National Environmental Policy Act and they didn't do proper environmental review to start with. So I agree. I think one of the game plans here is once you have the legal go ahead, it's a rush to get that in the ground, a rush to get things dug up um, and, and honestly, a rush to try to avoid the scrutiny of courts and the ability of citizens to bring suit and to actually have the law enforced. Um, And so it is very frustrating. And it it was also something that, you know, I think your analogy is apt, that I think a lot of times the, the game plan for some of these companies is to push forward as quickly as possible and try to get as much damage done before anyone can stop them.
0: That being said, if I went ahead with my fence and I dug up your favorite oak tree and went ahead with the fence it's also possible that the judge would turn around and say, "All right, not only do you have to bear the expense of ripping out your fence, you have to make the yard nice again. You have to get it resodded, and you have to put in a tree of at least this size." Um, is it? Are there any? Does anybody write anything like that in these contracts or in these proposals when they're first being talked about?
1: Well, not really. I mean, I think that, you know, in the PolyMet case, there is financial assurance set aside in case the company gets goes bankrupt and there's no one there to close the mine in an orderly fashion. But those expenses are, first of all, only the planned expenses, and we all know that there are unplanned ones. Um, And we also know that the package that was agreed to between the PolyMet mining company and the DNR um, and Glencore, the owners of PolyMet, is Insufficient. It doesn't have enough money set aside. In fact, they would have to. They wouldn't start really putting actual earnest money of any substantial amount in that account until after they would operated for eleven years. And at that point, um, it would probably be too late. Um, I guess you know. That I think you're right that there should be ways for us to recoup that. But unfortunately, when it comes to our natural resources, once things have been dug up and destroyed, they're not easy to restore. I mean, that oak tree that you're talking about probably took a hundred years to grow. You know, and it's like that you know, multiplied by thousands, right, Right for projects like Line 3 and Polymer.
0: One of the things that one of the water protectors said who spoke on this show is that as she talked about her admiration for Winona LaDuke, who was navigating the legal intricacies of the permitting process and going to these hearings and um, you know paying attention and keeping track of every all of the laws, the way it was written, and she said this stuff is written for corporations; it's not written for people. And I think her sense was that the process is ignoring the kinds of things that you've been talking about right here. They're ignoring the fact that you're not supposed to start until you've got permission. They're not ignoring the fact that people don't want, you know, that that there is substantial public opposition. They're ignoring a lot of things. And I think her sense was that at some point, this entire system needs to be overhauled. I don't know if uh, early Minnesotans could ever have envisioned large international corporations um, and and the the, the kind of behemoth that they are and the kind of money that they can bring to bear on things. Do you think that we need to take a step back and maybe renegotiate the way we deal with corporations, in particular where they involve our natural resources?
1: I think, that's a, I, mean, I think actually we need to take a step back and look at what we have done in the past and get back to it. I mean, in Minnesota, we established a really strong set of environmental laws in the 1970s. The Minnesota Environmental Policy Act and the Minnesota Environmental Rights Act were the backbone of that. Um, you know, we had a citizens board at the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency that used to oversee the agency and both scientists and citizens that made sure that those permits that were issued by the MPCA met the law and met science. And, you know, we've We've removed so many of those checks. The Minnesota Pollution Control Citizens Board was removed at the dark of night at the legislature in 2015, 2016. Um, And, you know, a lot of the checks that we've established have now been circumvented. So I don't really think it's a matter of, like, completely starting from scratch. I think we need to go back to basics, go back to where we started. I mean, I think we had a lot of visionary folks in the 1970s that were part of the environmental movement. Part of them established the organization that I work for today. And they established a really strong backbone for citizen involvement and making sure that citizen and citizen views and scientific information were respected in these decisions. I think we need to get back to that. I don't think we need to start from scratch.
0: So what changed, money or influence?
1: Well, I think both. I mean, they're both and they're and they're kind of they work hand in hand. I mean, I think one of the challenges has always been that the legislature, you know, has become more and more aggressive in trying to prevent agencies from doing their job. Uh, And I think the folks who work for those agencies, many of whom are awesome people and have lots of scientific background and want to do the right thing, feel a lot of pressure. Um, I mean, just look what happened with Laura Bishop, the MPCA commissioner recently, right? We're articulating and putting forward a rule that would have made it so that we would have to sell 7% electric vehicles in 2025 and beyond. 7%. Remember that GM and a whole bunch of other automakers are talking about being 100% electric vehicles by 2035. This is not a radical proposal, but for that, she was hounded out of her job. You know, that's how we've gotten to this point, is that the political pressure on folks who are supposed to be there implementing these environmental laws has gotten it to the point where it's very difficult for them to do it or to see themselves as anything other than political agents, as opposed to people whose job it is to uphold the science and the law. That's what we need to get back to somehow. I don't know the, I don't have the answer today, but I think I know what the problem is, and I think you put your finger on it.
0: Aaron, thank you so very much for taking some time to talk with us this morning. It's always a treat to have a conversation with you. Thanks again. Thank you
1: so much, Lisa. Have a great day.
0: Aaron Clems is the Chief Strategy Officer for the Minnesota Center of Environmental Advocacy. He joined us this morning as our guest on Northland Morning. Green Visions on KUMD is made possible with support from Heritage Window and Door, the Duluth Superior Supplier for Renewal by Anderson Windows and Doors, and from Minnesota Power Energy Conservation Program, making progress toward a lower carbon energy future.